Three weeks ago, um, I started this series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, we talked about the nature of the Holy Spirit um, and reminded us that Jesus said it is better for us that he go away from us so that we can have the Holy Spirit. Um, it is better for us to have the Holy Spirit living within us than to have Jesus beside us. And uh, when you stop and think about that, that's quite a statement that Jesus made. Uh, because for a lot of us, I think a lot of the time, I would just like to have that physical presence of Jesus right here that I could talk to. And, uh, you know, so we need to adjust our thinking as Christians and really think about the fact of the privilege we have of the Holy Spirit living within us. And we need to learn to make that as important in our lives as if Jesus was right here beside us um, in our lives. Then last week, we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit as it is declared in the Old Testament. And, uh, and in the Old Testament, we summarize that basically the Holy Spirit comes and dwells among people, and he comes and anoints particular people for a particular job at a particular time. And, and so I want to talk this morning a little bit more and give us a general summary of the Holy Spirit and his role in the New Testament before we go in uh, to dealing with other um, issues in the coming weeks. If you were to look at the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of the Holy Spirit and its role you would see, first of all, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt among the Israelites. Not within them, but among them. In the New Testament, Jesus says the Holy Spirit comes, and, and when we have invited Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And I'll walk through those scriptures with us uh, this morning. Then, the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was exclusive. The Holy Spirit came upon you, a particular person, if you were going to do a particular job like Bezalel um, in the Old Testament. And he, he was the one that God gifted to do all the art and, and uh, woodwork and all of that for the tabernacle. And God came upon Gideon and God came upon Samson and God came upon King Saul. But they were very rare out of, out of you know, a million Israelites. You and I only heard about these particular characteristics, these particular situations where the Holy Spirit came upon a person here and a person there. And so while the Holy Spirit dwelled among, he really came about to anoint only individuals, and so it was a very exclusive club in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came and anointed in the Old Testament. The good news of the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit is inclusive. It is for all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who has asked Jesus into their heart and life and has made him Lord, they have the Holy Spirit living within them. And you receive that by faith. The, second, the third thing about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon you temporarily. 
As long as you had the job to do that the Holy Spirit was anointing you to do, the Holy Spirit was anointing you for that time period, and then the Holy Spirit would lift off. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit dwells in us permanently as believers in Christ. And he doesn't just come and go, and you have to wonder today, is the Holy Spirit living in me? No, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is living in you. You may not have sensitivity to it today. You may have the flu and not feel the Spirit at all. I don't know. But he's in there. (laughs) He's living in you if you are a believer in Christ. In the Old Testament, the fourth thing that I might make, and this is not so much a difference here as, as something that's similar, But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to do mighty works. Mighty works in terms of leadership like King Saul and King David, or mighty works like Gideon and Samson and defeating the Philistines or, you know, other groups of people um, as as a judge, or mighty works in terms of just ability to, to... you know, come up with a plan for the tabernacle or for the temple later on and to know exactly how to do all of that and to receive that plan from God and have the ability to carry it out. So there were mighty works the Holy Spirit would come upon. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that you and I will do greater works than these. Greater works than what Jesus has already done that we read about in the Gospels. Greater works than what the what we read about in the early church. And so we'll talk about that um, also a little bit. But if you were to summarize my message this morning, that would be it. Um, the New Testament that the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within us, that he is inclusive, it's for all believers, that he is permanent, that he does, doesn't come and go, and that he has greater works for you and I. Now, the first thing I want to say this morning is that the Holy Spirit is received at salvation. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when when we need uh, infilling, that we need a greater uh sense of presence of the Holy Spirit um, and all of that, but the Holy Spirit is present at salvation. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So the first thing that Luke tells us, Jesus tells us in Luke, is that, you know, God is generous. He loves to give good gifts to his people. And so he's not going to withhold from us one of the very best gifts he can give. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so when we ask Jesus into our lives, God generously gives to us the Spirit, when we ask him. So God is not stingy with the Spirit. He delights to give the Holy Spirit to us. Down below that, John chapter 14. Um, You can go, uh, if you want to study what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14, John chapter 16 are two great uh, chapters of, of theology about the Holy Spirit. 
But John chapter 14, 16 through 17 say, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now notice that last phrase there, how, you know, this is before Pentecost. This is before Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus is there beside them. So right now he says, for the spirit lives with you, among you. But after the ascension, he will be in you at Pentecost. And so uh, you see that there in John chapter 14, 16 through 17. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. As believers in Christ, you and I live in a spiritual realm because Christ, uh, the spirit lives in us. Christ lives in us. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So I want you to notice that phrase very clearly. Paul says, if anyone does not have the Holy Spirit living within them, they do not belong to Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is living within you. And and you need to see that there from Paul. And if it's not true, then you need to get saved. You need to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Because if Christ is living in you, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in you at the same time. Now, um, this this verse shows you the inclusivity of, of the Holy Spirit being in all believers. Paul says very clearly, if if he's not living in you, then you have no part, you do not belong to Christ. So there are no exceptions here. Uh, And so you need to take that by faith and fact. The scripture says, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you. That's the bottom line. And your feelings may be one way or another, today or tomorrow. But the fact is, and by faith, the scriptures say the Holy Spirit lives in you uh, if you are a believer in Christ. Now, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The number one role of the Holy Spirit in in someone that has come to Christ is to help us realize, not to put us in a spirit of fear and all, and, and all of that, but to help us realize that you and I have become children of the King. And that we are his sons and his daughters. And he wants to give us that kind of an assurance of salvation. Um, there was, there's a, 
a song we used to sing at camp meetings, and I looked and looked this week for the music to it. I couldn't even find the lyrics to it. Uh, I called Mert, and he didn't have them either, and uh, looked all over. But there was a, a, a hymn or a children's song that we used to sing, Can We Know? And uh, it's called the Assurance March. And I don't remember all the words, so I'm not even going to try all that, but I remember the chorus. Can we know that Jesus saves us? Can we know? Be assured each moment, everywhere we go, we can know that Jesus saves us. We, we know. And then from there on. But anyway, and then it talks about, you know, First John um, 1, 12. And, and that's the verse that we cling to uh, for that knowledge. But anyway, I, I wanted to sing that song, use it this morning, but I couldn't do it. But anyway, there's, a, there's the assurance of our salvation that you and I have become children of God. And I believe that that is, you know, that's, that's kind of a Wesleyan um, tenet, um, that we emphasize, and, and yes, you and I should be able to know by the Holy Spirit's work in our life that you and I uh, know Christ, that he is living inside of us, and when we die, we will go home to be with him. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So as believers in Christ, again, Paul says, the spirit is living in us and he is this deposit. So um, when, when we have the Holy Spirit in us, God looks at us and sees the Holy Spirit and says, yep, that one's mine. And I'm committing myself to him to see them all the way to heaven. Um, and, and so that's what Paul says there in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter one. And then notice in Galatians chapter four, and this goes back to the, the previous verse also, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out. Abba, Father, so that you and I have a relationship now with God the Father, and we can talk to him on those terms. So you are no longer a slave to God, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir, an heir who inherits the gifts that God has to give to us. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 14. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glorious praise. Glory. So the promised Holy Spirit, who is also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, when we come to Christ and we have Christ living in us, the Holy Spirit is there and he is our guarantee that when we die, we are going to heaven. Friends, I want to tell you what, 
There is nothing else that you can do to guarantee that you're going to heaven outside of knowing Christ. God doesn't look at all the other things that churches do to, to you know, guarantee our spot in heaven. God looks at the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if he looks down and he sees the Holy Spirit in your heart, that's all he needs to know. He is the deposit that guarantees our place in heaven. And, and, and friends, you've seen this now in two or three different verses, haven't you? That is our guarantee. That is our deposit that God looks at. And if we have Christ living in us, then the Holy Spirit is living in us. And when we die, we are going to heaven because the Holy Spirit is living within us. Now, um, he talks about there, you know, you were marked with him with a seal. Now, I know there can be exceptions to this, um, but when a cattle rancher brands his cattle, he does that not to make them his cattle, but to announce the fact that they already are his cattle. (laughs) Now, there probably have been some ranchers who have branded some cattle to make them his. (laughs) So the analogy doesn't quite fit perfectly. But nonetheless, that's the reason we brand our cattle is so that we know and everyone else knows these cattle belong to me. We brand them that way. When you and I become Christians, God brands us by putting the Holy Spirit inside of us. So he says, this one belongs to me. And he marks us that way so the world can look at us and say, this one belongs to God. And the Holy Spirit wants to be so real in us that the world does see that you and I belong to him. Now, when we are born again through the purchase and the power of the blood of Christ, God brands his spirit um, on everyone who belongs to him. Now, when you and I, and uh, we don't do a whole lot of letter writing uh, in this culture, we use emails and we're discovering how quickly uh, that may not be the best option (laughs) in the world in which we live. But when we write letters... We write the letter and we sign it and then we put it in an envelope and we address it and we stamp it and we seal the letter. And once we've sealed that letter, that's kind of our declaration that we're done with this. It's finished. Now, all of us have those times when we have stamped and sealed and forgot to put something inside. (laughs) But... When we seal that, that's because we think it's done. It's ready to go to the mailbox. It's ready to be mailed and delivered. And when God seals us with the Holy Spirit, it's because he's saying, this is complete. This is done. I am in this person. They have received me. And I am committing to taking them all the way home to heaven. And so we need to be aware of that. Um, And we need to make sure that you and I have the witness of the Spirit living in us. Now, so what difference does it make? This is the second part of the message this morning. Um, if, If the Holy Spirit comes to us at salvation and lives in us, what difference does it make? 
First of all, you and I no longer ever need to pray for the Holy Spirit to live within us. The Holy Spirit is there and he's not budging. He's coming there to live and to dwell in us and he's planning to stay. You and I may, however, and should, however, pray for daily outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his, in his power and his fullness. And we need to continue to pray for that, that the Holy Spirit will, will take on greater and greater roles in our life and all of that. But to pray for the Holy Spirit to come? No. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is there and he is dwelling in you and you need to accept that by faith and by fact in your life. Secondly, the scriptures tell us that if you and I are a believer in Christ, that you and I, we, our bodies are different from the bodies of unbelievers. They have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have a responsibility as a Christian to treat your body different than the pagans do. And people that you run around with and work with and everything else, you have a different responsibility level with your body than people in the outside world who do not know Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the abode, it is the home, it is the place where God lives and dwells and you ought to treat it as such. You cannot do some things with your body that Joe Blow can do with his body. Because your body belongs to Christ. Your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. And you need to treat your body different. And you need to treat your body better than someone else that doesn't know Christ. Because your body belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you anymore. You can't just do anything you want with your body. It is the property of God. It is the property and the home and the residence of the Holy Spirit. And you need to remember that. If you're a homeowner, you can do some things with your home that if you were a renter, you shouldn't do. You no longer own your body. It belongs to God. And as a Christian, you need to remember that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19-20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. God owns the title on your body. And you can't just do anything you want with it. You have to honor God with it. The third thing this morning is that with the Holy Spirit living in us, he begins to fine-tune some things that you and I just aren't even all that aware of in our lives. E. Stanley Jones was a great uh, Methodist missionary to India, uh, spent a lot of time with Gandhi, um, working back and forth trying to convert him and lead him to Christ. And in those years when E. Stanley Jones was in India, he wrote that redemption goes beyond Jesus dying on the cross and rising again to show his victory. The Holy Spirit is the applied edge of redemption. And it is applied deep down in our lives 
down in the driving urges of the subconscious mind. In conversion, he says, we surrender all we know, all the sins and failures of our past and the present lives. But in receiving the Holy Spirit, we surrender all the things that we do not know. When we come to Christ, we confess our sins, the things that we know about and all of that. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he begins to deal with things that you and I aren't even aware of in our lives. And he begins to fix and mend. And, and, and he doesn't drive all those things out, but he comes in to cleanse them and to consecrate them and to coordinate them. Um, every now and then, this thing, because it's electronic, doesn't need to be tuned. Um, and that's part of the reason we have it. Uh, but if you have a, an acoustical piano and it needs tuned, you know, it's amazing what a tuner can do to a piano. And they come in and, you know, they'll work with octaves and they'll work with an octave plus three and getting those all lined up across the piano and, and so that not only all the C's tuned themselves, but all the other um, chords in a piano so that it all comes together. And the Holy Spirit does that work in us. There's all kinds of little things about us that we don't even understand, but God does. And he begins to work inside of us with all those kind of things and coordinate everything around in our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing, the fourth difference the Holy Spirit makes is that you and I begin to be led by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't control us. But he guides us and he leads us. And he will never push himself around us. But you and I, as, as believers, he is waiting for the invitation to say, yeah, I trust you more than I trust myself. And he's waiting to lead us. But God is always a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is always a gentleman and he will not force his way in our lives. But he's living inside of us and he has a will. He has a way for us. There are desires the Holy Spirit has, but he's just waiting for us to give him permission to live out his will in us. For example... Sermon preparation is always a good bit of a mystery for me. I, I sometimes am quite jealous of other preachers when I hear about their sermon preparation uh, systems and all of that. And some of them, you know, they always do it on one day of the week or they do this and one day and that and another day. And, and that just has never worked for me to my great frustration. Uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, it, it, it's a bit of a mystery, and I really don't understand it. But I have come to understand that when God is in it, and the Holy Spirit is speaking, I better stop whatever else I'm doing, and I better head to my study, and I better start writing. Because I don't know that tomorrow he's going to be ready to speak, and ready for that. And so I, whatever time it is during the week, and sometimes he pushes it too light in the week, and I'm very uncomfortable as weekend approaches. Uh, but then it comes, and I know the Holy Spirit is there, and I know he's speaking, and God is in it, and it, it comes together. And, you know, Friday was one of those days for me. Where I was thinking, this is Friday already. 
<laughs> and I had plans for the afternoon, and I really wanted my sermon to come together Friday morning, and it simply did not come together, and all of a sudden I was ready to take off on my afternoon agenda, and at 2 o'clock I knew I was going to have to leave my afternoon agenda because God wasn't going to come tomorrow. He was coming at 2 o'clock, and he was going to speak to me and give me the message for the morning. And so that's just part of being led by the Spirit. And as we grow, and the longer we live as Christians, the more we'll sense when God is moving, and when God is leading and, and directing and all of that. Someone has said that God steers moving ships. In other words, you know, it doesn't do much good to steer a ship unless it's already moving. Some of you um, remember when cars and tractors did not have power steering. Now, today they drive themselves and perfectly straight and all of that kind of stuff. I don't understand that, but anyway, it doesn't. But there was a day, I grew up in the day, when tractors didn't have power steering. And there were a few vehicles around that didn't have power steering, and you could get in, you could try to crank... And pull all of your weight when I was pretty young. I'd put all of my weight and try to pull the steering wheel down to get it to turn. But you know, once you got the vehicle moving, or once you got the tractor moving, it was a lot easier to do. Sometimes, the Holy Spirit just needs us to get moving. (laughs) For Him to start leading and directing and guiding. And it's a lot easier when we are already moving and we're already obedient, we're already following God when the Holy Spirit can come in and he turns our wheel. <laughs> he leads us and he guides us a lot easier if we're already moving than if we are just sitting still. And then the last thing I want to say this morning is the difference that the Holy Spirit makes if he's living in us is that Jesus says we would do greater works than these, greater works than what Jesus did and what the apostles did. And that, you know, really shocks us. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But Jesus, if you stop and think about it, Jesus reached a very small part of the world. He reached, especially around the Sea of Galilee, but not even all of Israel. And the apostles reached the world of their day. And they were incredible what they accomplished in such a short amount of time in their day. And yet, um, you and I today, as believers in Christ, are reaching the entire world. And we're reaching tribes that have never heard the gospel. And, And those are the greater works, I believe, that God has given to the church today. And if the Holy Spirit is living in us, there will be a passion to reach the world for Christ, to reach our neighbor for Christ, but to reach outside of ourselves also and see other people come to know Christ. So I want to ask you in closing this morning just simply two questions. Do you have the witness of the Spirit? Do you know Christ? Because if Christ is living in you, then God, the Holy Spirit, is also dwelling in you. And the other question is this. Would you allow the Holy Spirit more freedom 
than what you've been giving it. You see, sometimes some of us Wesleyans are a little bit scared of the Holy Spirit. We've seen, you know, wild charismatics. (laughs) Or we've seen this, or we've seen something else. And it just kind of has shut us off to the point where we don't allow the Holy Spirit to be God. And you need to decide whether you're going to be God or whether he is. And you need to give the Holy Spirit the freedom to be who he wants to be in your life and in my life and the life of the church. Because you're not God. Don't put boundaries on the Holy Spirit. Don't fence him in and tell him what he can and cannot do in your life. Come and say, here I am. Holy Spirit, I give you freedom to lead and guide and direct what you want to do in my life. Because if you don't, then you really don't trust God. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit is God. And if you're putting the Holy Spirit in a box, then you're telling God that you do not trust God. And you don't want to be there.